Buckner, part of the duo of Buckner and Garcia. I'm a arranger, musician, producer, record producer. Jerry Buckner has had a lengthy and successful career crafting catchy tunes around unusual topics with his late songwriting partner, Gary Garcia. They wrote Wreck It Ralph's theme song for the 2011 Disney movie. Wreck it, wreck it, Ralph, as fast as you can. You know you can do it with your colossal hands. And the theme for 70s sitcom WKRP in Cincinnati. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. A lot of TV nerds will actually tell you it's one of the great theme songs of all time. And of course, he wrote Pac-Man Fever, which peaked at number seven on the Billboard charts in 1981. And... And I have recorded and produced and written pretty much all of the Waffle House songs that you get to hear on the jukebox. After the success of Pac-Man Fever, he became friends with a woman named Mary Rogers. And Mary was married to Joe Rogers, who owns Waffle House. He and, and his father at the time was the top guy. They had an idea. They wanted to do songs about Waffle House and put them on a jukebox. They didn't want to do commercials. They wanted to do songs that sounded like songs and talked about Waffle House, but not trying to just blatantly be a commercial. So come on, it's been Saturday night at my place, Waffle House. So we started Waffle House Records. All 2,000-plus Waffle House locations feature a jukebox, it's been that way since the 24-7 diner chain opened their doors in 1955 just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And nowadays, modern hits live alongside classic Waffle House Records bangers like There Are Raisins in My Toast. Raisins, raisin toast. And They've Got a Coke for Me. They've got a Coke for me At my favorite place Waffle House And my own personal favorite, The Meat Lover. He's the meat lover. Jerry actually does not care for that one. I can tell you one I don't like because it involves me. <laughs> they wanted to do a song about serving meat in the restaurant. So somehow we come up with the song called The Meat Lover. And in the studio, whoever we had to do it, they couldn't do it or didn't show up or something. I don't remember exactly. Well, we got to get this thing done. So they told me to go in and do it. And I didn't particularly care for that. How it started, the meat lover's plate. He's the meat lover. songs, though obviously well-crafted and disarmingly catchy, aren't necessarily the first thing I think about when I think about Waffle House. But to me, as a northerner who managed to spend many a late night and road trip pit stop at the restaurant, I feel like they are the perfect encapsulation of the bizarre and endearing and oddly comforting appeal of the Waffle House. They created this atmosphere of family, 
of good feelings and then the jukebox was you know music for people to hear and then all of a sudden they could hear songs on there kind of reaching out to them about waffle house and reinforcing that family feeling and i think it was a natural thing to happen i think if we had put commercials on there it wouldn't have been the same the songs jerry and his team made are just one tiny bit of the minutiae that makes Waffle House unlike any other restaurant chain in America. And over the past 35 years, Waffle House Records has put out 40-plus songs, and they're still making music. If you want, you can go hear all these songs that are on the jukeboxes all over the country. They're everywhere. It's interesting because people that I will meet, and they find out some of the things I've done, and, and they'll compliment me or whatever, and which I always appreciate. But if I mention Waffle House, it's like they get really excited sometimes. It's <laughs> when to go, hey, I, I've written million selling hit records, you know, and you're excited about the Raisin Toast song. But, you know, that's OK. There's not a Waffle House location within hundreds of miles of my current home in Brooklyn, New York. But Waffle House's influence and impact is almost unavoidable in the American South. And much like the song The Meat Lover, once you've experienced it, it's kind of hard to shake. On today's episode, we're going to look less at the food side of things and more at the Waffle House as a destination, as a case study, as an institution. And along the way, we'll try to figure out why this diner chain means so much to so many people and also what smothered, covered, chunked, diced, pepper, capped, topped, and country means. Hopefully. I'm Will Fulton, a noted meat lover, and this is Thrillist Explorers. So if you're feeling hungry, come on in and have a seat. Cause I'm cooking. It's cooking. Oh, I'm really cooking. Oh yeah, Waffle House, I mean, it's the spot. You never know what's gonna happen there at any point in time. I mean, you know, in the late night hours, there's usually people there that have been drinking, so all those inhibitions are gone, and, uh, you know, people are crazy, and they'll definitely do crazy things. Hey, what's up? This is Alex Bowen, and I'm the grill sergeant that went to Waffle House and cooked his own meal. Showed up one night there about 3 a.m., found nobody in the place, looked around, waited around for a few minutes. Nobody came. Uh, that's when I decided to take spatula in hand and take care of myself on that order since I was there anyway. So I decided that, you know, I wasn't leaving without a sandwich that night. I was in the Army for 12 years, and then after I got out of that, I went to college for four years, worked some food service jobs, and I kind of instinctively knew where to find the stuff. I uh, whipped up a triple bacon cheesesteak milk sandwich with extra pickles and headed on out the door. Well, I thought the employees were probably playing a joke on me or, you know, just, there was a little window off to the side that obviously goes to an office. And I figured there was an employee probably standing there watching me. Uh, but I doubt it would ever happen again. And when the corporate guy talked to me and we went look back at his video, it was amazing. There was like a 10-minute window that I worked in there and got the sandwich. And like 20 seconds after I got done making the sandwich and walked out, an employee came back into the restaurant. I mean, that's pretty much the gist of it. And then after that, it was, you know, some news appearances and some radio interviews and stuff like that. 
We shared this story with you last week. A West Columbia man went viral making his own meal at Waffle House when there was no one there to take his order. man took matters into his own hands. I thought my friends would see it and, you know, get a laugh off of it or whatever. In the case of Alex Bowen, early, early last Friday morning, it was a, a trip to Waffle House. In West uh, I never really expected it to do what it did. Self-service to a whole new level. Like most viral stuff, it died away. Yeah, it was fun. It was great. I tell people I make a sandwich every day at home and nobody passes an eye. But you make one in Waffle House and everybody loses their mind. So, Alex, you own a, uh, like, a tile and flooring uh, business. What would you hmm? do if someone <laughs> went into some house you were working on and, and tiled the floor? You know, kind of like... You oh, man. Uh, we'd have a problem. <laughs> we'd have a big, big, big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Micah Cash, and I am a visual artist and photographer and the author of Waffle House Vistas. And I make photographs and study the built environment around us and document narratives of economics, politics, and how we value each other as a society based on what we see and what we build. And Waffle House Vistas is a project that I started in 2018 where I visited a total of 65 different restaurants across 11 states in the southeastern United States and made photographs from inside those restaurants looking out through the windows at the surrounding landscape and built environment. When I initiated the project, Waffle House made the most sense because it is a metaphor for Southern working class. I mean, in many ways, it's a metaphor for the South. I mean, if I was somebody that was sort of a South expat for about a decade, when you're away, you sort of boil down your childhood and your experiences to a few touch points. And if I was going to do a project like this for McDonald's or Hardee's or Sonic or even like a place like Cookout, which is also kind of a Southern kind of thing, those don't have the same level of cultural power and nostalgic power as Waffle House. And so it is a phenomenal thing that a restaurant chain that is that, I guess, pervasive is the right word in our, in our culture can also be so hyper-specific to important moments in our lives and be specific to local culture. Because when people say Waffle House, what they're thinking about is one particular restaurant that they love to go to. I lived at my hometown of Aiken, South Carolina, I think has five or six Waffle Houses in it. I know the one I want to go to. And I'll drive all the way across town to get to that Waffle House and pass three others. And I am not alone in that. And, and that's a powerful thing. And that's really the start of it. And so over the course of a year, I visited all these restaurants and made photographs and met a variety of patrons and workers at Waffle Houses. And the project started to shift in some ways. Like the project was still about these narratives of, of economics and politics and identity, very much so about identity. But it also took on this aspect of what Waffle House meant to people. And that metaphor became less of a metaphor and became a very tangible thing where Waffle House was a space where people could go either to work or to eat and think about what they were going to do that day. Think about how to find a new job. Think about their past and how they were going to change whatever their behavior was. In some cases, think about how to even exist in their own identity. As the project became published, 
first on thebittersoutherner.com and then through the photo book, Waffle House Vistas, published by The Bitter Southerner, I started receiving emails from people. And, and it reframed this project because people would give me these really detailed, deep, emotional, autobiographical testimonies, really, about what the Waffle House down the street from their high school or down the street from college was to them at that crucial moment in their lives. And I think I was scratching the surface of that when I started the project, but it was more of a hunch. And then on the other side of the project, it became a reality. There was another gentleman that I met in Richmond, and it's similar but different because he had left the Midwest, he didn't say where, because of a family issue. And he didn't elaborate on it, but it was clear that it was enough of an issue for him to pack up everything he owned in his car and drive south. And he just chose Richmond, Virginia. I asked him why. He just said, I don't know. My car drove to Richmond. I got out and, you know, found a place to live. And I'm working at this Waffle House. And to him, that decision to leave and put his life in his own hands and, and take that risk. And Waffle House for him was that first step in starting a new life, being being a waiter there uh, or a server there. And it was it was fantastic. Again, so full of hope. And I think for people who might not understand it entirely, Go to a Waffle House. Talk to people about why they like Waffle House. And and that's the interesting thing about it is, is you can be who you are, you can come in, and you can still have a social communal experience. Whereas I can be who I am at a McDonald's, but I don't necessarily am going to take three of my friends to a McDonald's at 2 a.m. and have a memorable time, a deep conversation, or study for a test or any of that. But you can do that at a Waffle House. You can find a link to buy Waffle House Vistas via The Bitter Southerner in a link in our description. It is a great thing to have on your coffee table. She'll say hello and welcome me in. She'll serve a cup just like we were old friends, special lady. If you're a Waffle House scholar, you've almost certainly heard of the Waffle House Index. It's an unofficial metric used by FEMA that judges the severity of a storm and the potential response needed by seeing if local Waffle Houses are still open or how quickly they're able to reopen. Still, it's definitely a story worth telling, so we talked to the person who created it. My name is Craig Fugate. I served as the administrator of FEMA in the Obama administration. We ran you know, the entire FEMA program uh, on behalf of the president, and when we had these big disasters, you know, we coordinated on behalf of the president the federal resources in response to the governors. We spent a lot of time responding to disasters, and part of my job was briefing the president, and in many cases, meeting the president down in a disaster area when he would go out to look at the damages and meet with the survivors. Well, the Waffle House Index is based upon responding to a lot of hurricanes. And one of the first things you'll find open, if they even close, would be a Waffle House. And we, in 2004, had been responding to back-to-back hurricanes. And we began observing that if a Waffle House was closed, it was an indicator of severe impact to a community. Waffle House is, of course, open 24-7, 365, and it takes a lot for them to close. Being open after a natural disaster is paramount to us. This is Jerry Boss. She's head of PR at Waffle House. Well, in a natural disaster, which is what we had the most experience with and what people probably know us most for, is being open immediately after a disaster or through a disaster. One, because our associates 
need work. They're there to earn a living. They've got to take care of their families. We have a responsibility to them. The community may have been devastated or are struggling because they don't have electricity. We want to be there for them so that they know that there's at least one place that they can get something hot to eat, something that's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We believe that's our duty, our responsibility to be there for that community who has been there for us. They're kind of like the restaurant version of that night in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You cut off his arms, his legs, and he still keeps fighting. Waffle House manages to stay open even if their electricity, gas, or running water is severed. Well, we have developed over the years a storm playbook. And in that, we detail several different scenarios and what operators, our team members, are expected to do to be able to keep themselves safe and to be able to keep customers safe and still operate. So what that entails is if there's no electricity, let's think about what in the Waffle House requires electricity. But the grills run on gas. So anything that has to be cooked on a grill or can be cooked on a grill, we still can do. So if there's no electricity, we can't make waffles. But if the situation is severe enough where it means that we're going to be out of electricity for a long time, we will bring in generators to get the store up and running. If the gas is off, they'll just cook waffles. If the water is off, they'll find a way to make it work. And what had happened in Joplin was all of the water lines had been ripped up by the trees from the tornado to Geoscale and F5, one of the most powerful tornadoes you can have. And it destroyed this community. And sure enough, they're in there pouring bottled water into the top of their coffee makers, and they had coffee. So while he was the head of FEMA, Craig started to pay attention to the Waffle House and to what they were serving before and after a storm. He created a stoplight scale to help determine the impact of a storm correlating with what Waffle House was doing in real time. And so he came up with this, you know, green, yellow, red. Everybody knows the traffic stoplight, what it looks like. Everybody knows what those colors mean. So we'd be heading out in the Florida Panhandle out on Interstate 10, and we'd start seeing hurricane damage. And people would say, should we stop and go to work? And it was kind of like, well, is the Waffle House open? Yeah, they got a full meeting. Yeah, no, keep going. So that's green. If you got there and the Waffle House was open but had a limited menu, well, we know we got a lot of power outages and, and the infrastructure may have gotten torn up pretty good. Probably more support, uh, what we call mass care, sheltering and feeding people, but maybe not the area we got to focus on search and rescue operations. Yellow. And if we got there and the Waffle House is closed because of damage or closed because of the storm, well, that was an area pretty badly hit. We ought to start doing the work here and start working in these areas. And of course, red. I look at the index, the Waffle House index, like taking a poll. What Waffle House was good for was to tell us very quickly how bad the impacts were and did we prepare for the right level of impacts. And we began looking at that uh, as far back as 2010 during ice storms because it helped gauge how much of the private sector was up and running. Craig said the idea of using local businesses to get a ground view in real time of a storm's impact on a community is something relief organizations have been using forever. But when asked why he chose Waffle House as the North Star here instead of Burger King or Subway or IHOP, he said, I don't think their CEOs load up in a truck and drive to the area that got hit by the hurricane and get their stores open. And it's kind of interesting when you talk to them is, 
you know, they basically operate under this, here's their mission, get open. It isn't, you know, get open unsafely or they have a very methodical process of what it takes to get a store back up if it's been closed. Everything from, you know, if they can get gas to the grill, but they don't have water, you know, how to make coffee using bottled water. And they literally take the corporate office, which is in Atlanta, and they'll drive from that office down to an area and help those stores get open and get those restaurants back in business. Craig Fugate hasn't been the director of FEMA since 2017, but Waffle House still uses the index. It is something that we have incorporated into our disaster response because people understand it. It's either green, yellow, or red. And over the years, we have tweaked that each year with different natural disasters. And of course, this year, well, actually 2020, we tweaked it again to incorporate the pandemic and how it affected our business. According to Fugate, it's still best used to gauge the impact of storms. Although when every Waffle House was closed in the early months of the pandemic, it was an extremely red light, in my opinion. But overall, it remains a uniquely specific tool and a testament to Waffle House's willingness to open when no one else will. Well, of course. Anytime that we can help the community where we serve, we believe that that's a good thing. So yes, it is a strong sense of pride that we have to know that we are what we consider to be true partners with the communities that we serve. It's important for our associates to know that we've got their backs and it's important for our customers to know that we have theirs as well. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back. My name is Tiffany Barrier. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a cocktail girl, not only making them, but uh, I drink them very well. Um, and I teach cocktail workshops. You walk in a Waffle House after midnight in Atlanta, you are seeing the city, which is, of course, flamboyant in fashion and culture. And you're seeing where people were. You can see tuxedos. You can see you know, our, our blue workers. You can see club. You see kids. The sneaker game's always fun. You see hosiery. The ladies are out there. I like it when I see the bedazzle. I love to see that formal gown walking in the Waffle House. So you're looking forward to seeing the fashion. Like, okay, I see you. I see what you did tonight and what's about to make you better, which is always Waffle House. My most memorable moments are when you find that one drunk friend that's doing it. Maybe a serenade, maybe, you know, a dance at the counter, or someone coming in and taking over the jukebox. That's some of the most memorable nights at Waffle House. The turn up. I have a favorite song or songs or playlist that I play when I go to Waffle House, but nothing gets the crowd going than James Brown. Works every time. Big payback. Payback is a thing you got to see. Just hypes everybody up really quick. Off the wall, Michael Jackson. Hypes everybody up really quick. That's on my playlist. 
I Bring It Classy or Rock Steady by Aretha Franklin. Before you know it, get some heads nodding. Have I ever had more fun at a Waffle House than I have at a bar? No, but I have laughed harder at a Waffle House than I have at any restaurant, bar, or comedy show in my life, hands down. I have laughed, I have cried laughing. I have belly aches. <laughs> Just thinking about it, <laughs> I've laughed my ass off at Waffle House. That's a good time though. <laughs> what made me laugh? Um, you know, karaoke while tipsy at a jukebox with a fork and breakfast feels really, really good and free. So I remember just karaoke-ing at Waffle House with some friends, putting on a hard show, goofing off, getting other folks to sing with us before we know it, like the whole joint singing the same songs. We got tips that night. We all took a gang of photos in front of Waffle House to um, show our love and loyalty to the club before it was the club. We would bring our flask into Waffle House and <laughs> put it in tea and coffee. But <laughs> Tiffany, I actually think that you had your uh, bracelet flask when we went to Waffle House last year. I always have my bracelet flask. I'm so glad that you remember that. I keep a flask at all times. At all, all times. Yeah. You really did. Yeah. You really did. Yeah. Nothing's changed. <laughs> hey, we're Catherine and Scott Sheely. We live in Atlanta, Georgia. And we took our engagement pictures at Waffle House a few years ago. And we also had the Waffle House food truck at our wedding. Scattered, smothered, and covered with a side of love. You know, if you're going to begin a marriage, it's always good to have common interests. <laughs> <laughs> So we actually met on Bumble shortly after Catherine had moved to Atlanta. Yep. On our first date, we went to a Mexican restaurant in town, but somehow we got on the subject of Waffle House. And I think that Scott was surprised that I love Waffle House so much. I had a couple locations in college that I frequented way too much, sometimes up to three times a day. And the ladies there all knew me. They knew my uh, twin brother and could actually tell us apart. They would ask me how my day was going or, you know, how was your finance exam today? So they, they knew more about us at times than some of our friends did. I think Waffle House, for me, it's been such a consistent thing in my life. I grew up in a small town in Mississippi and we were heavily affected by Hurricane Katrina in 2005. And Waffle House was one of the first things that was open. I feel like it's just always there for you. Uh, we both get the All-Star Special, and we talked about all the different ways that you can make the All-Star Special. And we really bonded on that on our very first date. And I think on our second, we went to Waffle House. Not that it was a, a total focal point of our relationship, but um, it's definitely something that we bonded over at an early outset. and continue to be probably part of our weekly routine. Yeah, before we took our engagement photos, I knew that I wanted it to be a little bit different. So I asked our photographer, we were going to three different locations. And I said, could one of them please be a Waffle House? And she'd never done that before, but she was totally game for it. 
and we found a Waffle House nearby. There's plenty in Atlanta. We have so many here. And so we found one nearby. And I think everybody working there was so confused (laughs) as to what we were doing there. One of the pictures has us wearing uh, Santa hats in the Waffle House, I think holding Waffle House coffee mugs and looking across the table at each other. That's one of my favorite ones. So we took some in front of the Waffle House. We took some sitting at the bar. There really weren't many people there. They gave us mugs and they gave us drinks so that we could take some. We did some fun, both drinking out of the same cup. (laughs) So the Waffle House truck idea, I was driving home from work one day and I saw this Waffle House food truck. I didn't even know that those existed, but I just saw it driving right next to me. And immediately I went to the website to figure out how can we have this at the wedding. Typically, people are, you know, throwing rice or having sparklers or something. We did our walk out straight to the uh, food truck and actually uh, went ahead and ordered some waffles and hash browns. People still talk about it. It's the Waffle House wedding, um, whatever you want to call it. I've been lucky enough to always live right around the corner from a Waffle House. We have one actually right across the street from us. I think that uh, was a requirement in terms of where we were going to live. It has to be a walking distance Waffle House, which isn't too difficult to find in Atlanta. But we, um, we love it. So before I start this, I want to preface with this tweet that I saw at the beginning of quarantine where Waffle House had tweeted, like, keep the Waffle House experience alive and we're going to, you know, sell this waffle mix. And Kayshawn Rance tweeted, I can make the waffles at home, but I could never recreate the environment of chaos and danger. And that makes so much sense. It's like you're paying for the experience when you go there. My name is Orion Carlotto. I am a writer and poet of sorts. So I am not from Atlanta, but a city an hour outside called Winder, Georgia. So definitely have some strong feelings and ties to Waffle House. And, you know, they didn't really have much of anything besides, you know, a Waffle House, a gas station, a Walmart, etc. So you really had no choice but to, you know, You're either going on a date to Waffle House or to McDonald's and choose wisely. So I remember definitely a few times after high school football games on Friday nights going on a date. Oh my God. I think I went on a date with a huge crush of mine at the time to Waffle House. And I can't remember anything that went on besides being nervous and ordering only a single waffle because I was like, I can't like, I can't look at the waiter and tell them I want this like chunked and scattered in front of this guy that I like. (laughs) I do have this memory in my head that is a bit traumatizing, I'll be honest. (laughs) um, I had went with my dad First of all, it was very rare that it's just like me and my dad going out to eat when I'm like seven on a Sunday morning. And so that was a treat within itself. And we go to Waffle House and, you know, we have our meal, have a great little father-daughter moment. And when we're done eating, my dad looks at me and he's like, oh man, like, I don't have any money for this. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. I think we're going to have to like go in the back and start washing dishes. And... That is already terrifying as it is, but not just my dad telling me that, but the workers, like I said, 
Waffle House inflicts some sort of chaos that I don't really understand, and I don't know if I ever will, but the workers were in on it, and they were just trolling me as a child, like putting this idea in my head that I'm going to be in the back, like in an apron and gloves and washing everyone's dishes for who knows how long carrying this joke on for at least 10 minutes while I'm like thinking in my head I'm like can we like call mom like I don't I don't know what to do here (laughs) so from the outside Waffle House looks like your typical diner you know it's they haven't changed the logo in years so it feels very homey there's this sort of otherworldly environment when you go inside you know there's the same jukebox in every location But it's really not about the music or the food or the menu. It's people that work there that really make it an experience for you. And I don't know if it is the nostalgia that brings you back or the Southern hospitality or the insane energy that goes on at any point or any time of the day. But Waffle House is definitely a place that lives in its own separate world for sure. Follow Orion on Twitter and Instagram to keep tabs on all of our new projects. Links in our description. Check them out. You ask Arthur Blank, who's a billionaire, what's your favorite restaurant in Atlanta? And his response is Waffle House. And he had his 70th birthday, the owner of the Falcons at a Waffle House. Now you own everything, you know? Steak Shapiro is the longest-running sports talk radio host in Atlanta history. He also founded Atlanta Eats, which covers food extensively in Atlanta and the surrounding area. And he is, of course, a massive fan of Waffle House. Atlanta Eats made an excellent series called Waffle House Stories earlier this year, pre-pandemic, profiling some Waffle House employees across the country. Steak came on to talk about Waffle House's place in Atlanta brand lore, some of the stories they were able to capture at Waffle House, and also, most importantly, why his name is Steak. My name for my parents, they did not look at me and and call me Steak. My real name is Steven. Years ago, I was an intern at a Boston radio station. They started calling me Steak around the office based off a steakhouse in Minnesota where the specialty of the house was Steak Shapiro. I got my first on-air job. I just kept the name, which for a guy in food and a guy in sports kind of worked. So... Waffle House is just entrenched in the culture of the South, particularly Atlanta, in a way, the only thing I can compare it to is growing up in New England is Dunkin' Donuts and Boston. Just like that iced coffee is sewn into your right hand in the summertime in New England, so is the yellow sign and pulling into a Waffle House parking lot. You know, Waffle House is a theatrical performance in that the the cooking is always happening right in front of you. And essentially, you know, it's a breakfast place where they're cooking breakfast in front of you. They're providing you a waffle as a side dish for virtually every single order. And it is standard, but delicious. It is a local place. You know the servers, you know the chef. You're very, very familiar. You've heard the stories of people that eat there twice a day, 340 days a year. I mean, other restaurant brands, that would be an amazing story. At Waffle House, that's just old hat. You know, that's just like, oh yeah, okay. Guy eats there every day of the year, you know? That's not breaking news for Waffle House. There's a lot of those people that spend at least one trip a day there. 
A lot of that is driven by the associates, the guys and women who work there. There's a ton of history of people who work there. There's a reason they love working there. They're the kind of people that they are that deserve to have stories told about them. Here's the story of Stan Griffin. He's been a Waffle House sales associate for 15 years. He's commonly known as the Hat Man. Pull a bacon. Or drop a hash brown. Mark a Texas bacon, egg, and cheese. Plate. I'm the Hat Man. Every time somebody has a birthday or it's the first time customer at Waffle House, I place a hat on them. You know, I don't care who they are or how old they are, they're getting a hat. It's been quite an experience because of some of the people that I've met, you know, and some of the people that I have grown attached to. It's just one of the things I did not expect when I started working here at Waffle House. This happened about a month ago. Kid comes in, and they've been coming here for quite a while, and the parent says she wants to tell you something. So I bend my ear down, and she whispers in my ear, when I come into Waffle House, you make me feel like everything's going to be all right. You're my best friend. That got to me, man. That made my week. I mean, I, I, that made my week. Just, just things like that, man. So you never know the effect. Even if they don't show it, you never know the effect you have on people. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. I don't care if you're almost home. It doesn't make any difference, man. I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. And no matter how busy you are, whether you're busting tables or cooking, whatever, it doesn't take anything to say hi. How you doing? Glad you came be with you as soon as I can. That's going to hold them. That holds me. And this is Emily Buffington. She's been a server at Waffle House for over 40 years. got started is I was a regular customer that came in there all the time and I was talking to people about working. A friend of mine, she decided not to go to work one day, so I kind of got to go to work for her. <laughs> I've been at Waffle House for about 40 years. I've been here forever. I like it. I mean, it's like family. All kinds of personalities, all kinds of people, all kind of everything. If you need something, Waffle House will help any way possible. From Waffle House, you can see everything that's going on. They can see what happens to their food and what's going into their food and what we're doing. And at the end of the day, I want my diners to feel like they were taken good care of. They got fed. They feel like family. And everything's beautiful. <laughs> And I believe that food and dining and restaurants is the greatest connector of family and friends. And, you know, around a greatest memories of my life around a breakfast table or dinner table or, you know, having drinks with friends or whatever it is. Nowadays, you don't have to talk about the feeling of a place like Waffle House. You can watch it and hear it and see it. And uh, I think these stories are a great example of the feeling that evokes from Waffle House. Yeah. Thank you to Steak, Atlanta Eats, and Waffle House for these stories. To watch the videos and hear from other Waffle House staffers, there's a link to the full series in our description. And check out Atlanta Eats on Instagram and Twitter. 
We're going to take another quick break, but while you wait, why don't you learn about some amazing new products and services? Yeah, here you go. Okay, that's it for us, but we want to hear about your wildest or most surprisingly wholesome Waffle House experiences. So give us a call at 1-833-POD-BABY. It's our toll-free hotline. Call and leave us a message. We'll definitely be listening. We want to thank our own team of associates. This episode was produced by Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fast, edited and mixed by Dean White and Abby Austria. Special thanks to Jim D'Amico, Daniel Byrne, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudor. You've made it till the end of the episode, so I will leave you with the answer to that question I posed way in the beginning. Here is Waffle House's hash brown topping translation. Smothered equals sautéed onions, covered is melted cheese, chunked grilled hickory, smoked ham... Diced is grilled tomatoes, peppered means spicy jalapeno peppers, capped is grilled button mushrooms, topped is Burt's chili trademark, country is sausage gravy. Okay, that's it for us. I'll see you next week. From the-